Oh, welcome to today's show, Sarah Pampiano. How are you? I'm good. Thanks, Tim. Thanks for having me. Oh, that's great. Um, so we'll go right back to the beginning. What got you into triathlons? Uh, well, in my prior life, pre-triathlon, I was um, I was a banker on Wall Street, and I was working you know really long hours and um, didn't really have a whole lot of life balance. And actually, one of my friends from college had signed up for a triathlon and he signed up to, to lose weight. He had gained a bunch of weight after, after university. And, um, we were out at a bar one night and I was smoking cigarettes and drinking my, you know, drinking alcohol. And we had this, we made this bet as to whether or not, you know, I could beat him at, at, in this, in this race that he had signed up for. So that was my first taste of triathlon and I went and I did it. And, um, just really, it, I mean, it was a life-changing experience for me, and I walked away from uh, that race feeling really motivated and inspired, and I quit smoking on the spot and um, just kind of made the decision that, that I wanted to uh, start including triathlon in my life and start leading a little bit of a healthier lifestyle, and you know, from there, things just kind of propelled. I mean, I got a little bit more serious about it and then my performances started to to really elevate and that's how I got the idea of becoming pro in my mind. So you went from a cutthroat industry in Wall Street to a cutthroat industry in triathlons, really? Yes. yes. <laughs> Not. So how old were you when you did your first triathlon? Um, I did it in 2000 and at late 2009, so I was 29 years old. And so when did you turn pro? I turned pro um, in 2000, well, I guess at the end of 2011, but, you know, I, I really consider 2012 to be my first year racing professionally. Right. Um, and did you do any sports as a child? Yeah. So growing up, um, I was a really competitive, nationally ranked runner um, in cross country. And then I also ski raced very competitively. And so... Uh, when I got to college, or actually before I got to college, when I got to high school, I had to kind of make a decision whether or not I wanted to really focus on on running or focus on skiing and trying to make the Olympic team in, in ski racing. And so I had been running for a long time, and I was and I was quite burned out from it, and um, ended up choosing the ski racing route. So I actually went to this private high school that's completely dedicated to. Um, to ski racing and developing ski racers to get onto their national team. So, you know, I was really um, competitive and, and really involved in sports from a pretty early age. Nice. So when you decided to go pro, was that a hard decision to make as from going from an age grouper? Um, yes and no. I would say that um, I got this idea in my head that I wanted to turn pro pretty quickly but it was really about a almost a year and a half in the making and um you know with that part of it was me developing as an athlete but also part of that for me was taking a look at what the financial implications were going to be what I really needed to do to be successful for, um you know from a financial standpoint within you know once I took the leap um how I was going to budget myself, you know, a lot, there's a lot of financial implications, obviously, when you, when you make this decision. And so it wasn't something that I just 
made the decision I was going to do and then jumped in and did it. I, I really kind of thought through it and I had to plan, um, you know, how my lifestyle was going to change, what I was going to do financially, where I was going to live, all of that stuff. And so I did a kind of a lot of research into that before I, before I really made the, the leap. So are you a full-time athlete now or are you work part-time? I'm full-time. Yeah. Um, you know, my view was that when I, um, turned pro, I wanted to, um, really give myself the best possible opportunity to, um, be world-class and be successful at it. And so I, since I turned pro, I've been full-time and I left my job. So I look on your website, you've got one of the nicest looking sponsor lists out of a lot of triathletes. You've got a really who's who of sponsors. Did did you have a lot of them before turning pro or did they come along as you're developing? Um, so, yeah, so that was actually part of the process for me between transitioning from being to being pro. You know, I know that a big part of the way that we as professionals make money is through sponsorships. Um, you know, obviously you can make prize money, but that's kind of a small drop in the bucket. And most of the money that we make really comes from um, what our sponsors offer us in terms of either uh, product or base salary or performance bonuses. And so, um, you know, during that transition period of time, I really focused on creating a logo for myself and I spent a lot of time on my website developing my website and then um and then also identifying which sponsors I wanted to to try to work with and um you know for me a big thing for me is is about longevity of relationships and um really being able to be authentic and in, in going out and promoting you know the brands that you represent and so um, every, almost every single brand that I currently have, am in sponsor, you know, have as sponsors now are companies that, and brands that I used before I, before I had those sponsorships. Um, the only one that was new to me that I, and, and you know, I didn't use previously was Saucony. Um, but before I signed on with Saucony, I spent a lot of time running in their shoes and making sure that um, – from both a product perspective and a brand and company perspective, it was sort of aligned with me um, and who I am, you know, from an ethical standpoint and, and just in terms of vision and things like that. So, um, yeah, I mean, I would say that I, I definitely approached a number of them. But then as I started becoming more established in the sport, um, you know, some of my sponsors have changed. And part of that is them approaching me. Um, I just partnered with Rudy Project about a year ago. And that was a really exciting um, new sponsorship for me. So do you manage yourself or have you got an agent or a manager? Um, so in the first two years that I was pro, I did not have an agent or a manager. For me, um, I felt like I could – it was really important for me to go out and develop the individual relationships with all of the companies that – um, are within the sport of triathlon. So your bike sponsor and wetsuit sponsor and nutrition sponsor and, and all of that. Um, in June of 2014, so this, you know, this last year, I actually uh, took on an agent and I am working with an agent now. Um, but I actually specifically chose to work with somebody who is outside of the sport of triathlon because for me, I wanted somebody that could help me move um, beyond 
just triathlon and move outside of the sport of triathlon and start bringing um, press and media and attention to more mainstream um, media outlets. Um, so the woman that I ended up deciding to work with, she has a lot of um, big name athletes, but she also has a passion for working with um, specifically with women in sport and um, understands kind of the challenges and the risks and um, really the difficulties of working with an athlete in a sport like triathlon, which doesn't have as much visibility and kind of mainstream attention that some of the other big, big sports do. Well, um, just putting you in your pocket for a moment, out of all the tri pro triathletes I've spoken to, you're really on the dot when it comes to the business side of the sport. <laughs> Have you thought about, um, do, do you do much consultancy work for other pros that we're giving them advice and how they should market themselves and brand themselves? Um, I, a little bit, um, you know, more, I would say specifically with the other pros that are part of, uh, purple patch, which is yeah. the, um, team that I, I train with under Matt Dixon. Um, you know, I think that we have a really strong community that supports one another and we have, you know, we're competitive and, you know, we're all fighters, but we have a mutual respect. And so, um, particularly with some of the new pros, I, 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 try to take the opportunity to kind of like, you know, to talk to them and, and give them suggestions on, on kind of what the best course of action is for them and what they need to do in terms of brand development and, and things like that. So. And do, uh, do you get frustrated when you give them some real good advice and they completely ignore it? You think, what are you doing? I don't, I don't get frustrated, but what I would say is that um, in general, I'm frustrated with the sport. Um, in the sense that I think that a lot of professional triathletes come into the sport and they, the only thing that they focus on is the performance side of things, which is certainly super, super important. But if we ever want to have the kind of prize purses and um, big sponsorship dollars that um, we all really wish that we had, I think it's really important to also focus on the branding side of things. And I don't think enough athletes do that. Um, or they do, but they just focus on um, the branding within the sport of triathlon. And the only way we're going to get more attention and more dollars in the sport is to move outside of it. So um, there, I have a lot of frustration from, from my end on that side of things. And, you know, I, I also feel like, quite frankly, people sort of expect – to be supported or expect to kind of financially make it. And I think that, you know, we have to, you have to put a lot of work in and you have to fight for that. So it doesn't just get handed to us. So if you took over WTC, what, <laughs> what would you do different from a pro's point of view? Oh, or it could be just a, a, a you know, a challenge or what, what are the, what are you, what would you do different to, to the sport than what's getting done at the moment from a pro professional's point of view? Um, well, it's an interesting question because, you know, I, there are things that I feel like need to be changed, um, in terms of how the pros are treated and, um, how much we get paid with respect to prize purses and things like that. I don't disagree with, um, with a lot of the commentary out there, but what I really agree with that Andrew Messick said is that. You know, it's not WTC's responsibility to 
make sure that we're all financially sound. It's our responsibility to do that. And, you know, if we want to get paid more, part of it is WTC trying to get larger corporate sponsors, but part of it is also our responsibility to elevate the profile of triathlon. And I think that we collectively as a group need to do more. Um, I think it would be great if WTC could, you know, partner with and, and, you know, do something with maybe a group or a group of advisors or a group of, of the pros to try to, to work towards doing that. Um, what I personally feel like though, is that, um, and ultimately it would be, uh, it's a really important thing for the sport to get a union together, um, in terms of providing, um, quality and low cost health insurance to all of the athletes, to be able able to go out and represent the collective group in terms of negotiating with WTC and Challenge and you know the other brand name um, um, competitions and be able to to kind of fight for our rights because right now there's no union and so there's no collective voice and um, I think it's a really challenging thing to set that up but um, quite frankly one of my goals after I I'm not going to do it right now while I'm um, competing, but once I'm done competing, um, I'd like to try to focus on that and, and really kind of be an advocate for athlete rights. Nice. So yeah. you, you're getting coached with, um, Purple Patch. How long have you been with them for? Uh, this is going to be my fifth year with Matt. Nice. And have you, um, what's he done to, um, develop you as an athlete or is it just, continuous training yeah it's been a a real um progression for me um when I first started working with Matt we sort of started on the on my like swim project which um if anybody knows anything about my swim it's not not really that great um but it's actually improved a lot surprisingly um so the first three three years I was with Matt a lot of our attention and focus was on, um, swim, the swim for me. I don't have a background in swimming. I don't, you know, I didn't grow up competing. And so a lot of it was volume, uh, swim volume for me. And I would say particularly during the off season, about 70% of my training hours was actually spent uh, in the pool doing a lot of swimming. Um, the other thing that, that we focus on actually is kind of the same thing, which is, um, bike miles. My background, I don't have a background in cycling. What I do have a background in is running. And um, I haven't really to date been able to put up a run performance that um, really represents the kind of runner that I am. And a big part of that is just lack of endurance and specific fitness and strength in the swim and in the bike to be able to get off you know, after doing those two events and be able to really put up a strong run. So the last few years, that's what we've focused on. Um, we're actually transitioning the focus this year. And um, while obviously, you know, when I go to swim practice, it's it's a very focused session. I'm not swimming as much as I, as I used to. I'm never going to be the 50-minute swimmer. Um, I think that we hope to see my, my swim progress a little bit. But um, what we're focused on now is building very, very specific strength and strategic strength on the bike um, and then run speed and 
being able to get off the bike and run well. Because for me, the only way that I'm going to be able to have a chance of winning Kona um, or, you know, being in the top on the podium at Kona is if I can ride a 445 and run a 250. Um, and that's pretty much what I'm going to have to do because I'm never going to be able to get out of the water with a front pack of girls. And so um, right now that's that's sort of the next step in our in our in our training yeah. project. So who are the um, biggest influences in your life to, to get you to where you are at the moment? It's a good question. <laughs> it doesn't even need to be all triathlon. You, you, just influences in your life. Yeah, I mean, I think um, in anything I've ever done, whether it was when I was working in banking or when I was younger and I was a ski racer, or I was a runner, or it's really anything that I take on, I always give 100%. And I think um, a big reason for that was that I grew up with, well, I grew up with a mom who was an ardent feminist, and I also grew up with two older brothers who would never let me play with them or do anything with them unless I could, you know, do whatever it was that they were doing as well as they were doing it. And so for me as a kid, and my mom was, you know, there on the side saying, it doesn't matter if you're a female, you should be able to do, you know, anything as well as, as any male out there. And so as a kid, it was like, that was sort of the mentality I had. And I just would fight and I never would give up and I, you know, never would complain until I got to be, you know, as good as any male out there. And so I think, um, you know, now it's, it's kind of like the same type of fight, fight mentality I have. And I definitely think that those were two really big influences for me and continue to be. Yeah. Nice. So how closely do you watch everyone in the sport? Like your, your main competitors, what they're doing in training, racing and on the business side of the sport? Um, I would say a moderate amount. Um, I don't actually like to know what people are doing from a training perspective. Um, my feeling is what they're doing in their training is what they're doing in their training and what I'm doing in my training is what I'm doing in my training. And, um, it plays some mind games with me when I pay attention to that. And I, so I just don't, I just don't like to do it, but there are some athletes who I just think have a really strong voice and I really admire what they have to say about, you know, specific issues in the sport and things like that. Like I really enjoy reading, um, Kelly Williamson, Williamson's blog. I think that she, um, she has experience. She's really mature in the sport and I think that I I like what she has to say. So, um, you know, there are definitely athletes that I, that I do pay attention to from that perspective. And, I think particularly um, the higher echelons of um, some of the women who have more influence than others. I, I kind of I pay attention to them because I want to see how you know the how well they're taking on that responsibility to um, you know be a voice for the sport. Yeah. What about the, what about their time splits? Uh, yeah, I hear these like you got Macker and Crowey, and um, you heard a few interviews with Michael Rasmus, who can just quote other athletes. Oh, he swam that in in two thousand and three. He swam it at that time. And then I got off the bike at that time. Do you pay that sort of attention to what your competitors doing with, with time splits? Um. So before every race, 
I go through who I actually go through at the entire start list and I will look at um, the performance history of every single athlete and do an analysis of, you know, do they swim well in salt water? Do they swim what better in fresh water? And, you know, how are they on this type of bike course versus that type of bike course? So I definitely do a, a pretty thorough analysis of um, each of my competitors so that I have um, a really good knowledge base. And that doesn't impact my own um, race strategy and my own, you know, how I'm going to execute my race. But having that knowledge, you know, if you're in a situation with, um, you know, on the bike and you end up finding yourself with someone that you know is like a really smart strategic cyclist and it makes sense for you to be able to, you know, try to work together on the bike, that's a really good piece of knowledge to have. Or if you know that somebody bikes really, really hard, but then always blows up on the run, then, you know, that's, it's important information to have. And I think that it's important for us as competitors to go into any race with as much information, both about the course and about, um, you know, who we're racing against as we can. So yeah, I do do that. <laughs> yeah. What do you do for fun away from triathlon? <laughs> um, have you got time to do anything away from triathlon? <laughs> I know. Um, well, I really like to go to the movies. And actually, every Friday night, um, my I have, like, it's kind of my night off that I give myself. And I go out to dinner every Friday night and, you know, try to do some activity away from just, you know, cooking dinner and watching, you know, some TV show and then going to bed. So I really, like, you know, make it a point to kind of get out, out and about. Um, and that's something that's really important to me. And then um, I would say beyond that, um, something I mentioned to you a little bit earlier, but uh, my two, two of my friends and I just started a new website called The Habit Project. And that's taking up kind of a lot of my time and interest right now. Um, and that's focused on trying to create a community um it's leveraging my my background and my my story of being a smoker and sort of lacking life balance and not much much health and really transitioning um into uh, a lifestyle that i feel really proud of today and that's um what the purpose of the habit project is about which is um to try to inspire and influence and encourage people to make very very small um habit changes in their life that hopefully can propel them to, um, you know, to better health and better life balance and, and overall greater happiness. And so that's something that we just launched and um, been spending quite a bit of time with that. So where can people find out more about that? Um, it's the habitproject.net is the website. And then we also are on Twitter at, at the habit project. And also we have a page on, on uh, Facebook, the habit project. And it's a, is it just for um, people in the sport or this is for everyone, people just sitting on the couch doing nothing that maybe they should get up a couple more times and walk to their letterbox? So. Yeah, it's for everybody, actually. Um, you know, I as I mentioned, I started it with two friends and then actually Matt Dixon, my coach, has recently um, agreed to become involved. So there is going to be a component that um, is focused on fitness and triathlon but we also have a component that's focused on nutrition and we also have a component that's focused on life balance. And, um, the, 
the the women who focus on the nutrition and life balance piece have absolutely nothing to do with triathlon at all. So, you know, the goal is, um, you know, certainly people within the triathlon community can and should, um, you know, go on and check it out. But the goal is to actually um, create a community that extends beyond triathlon. Nice. I'll put a link to the website on the show notes as well so people can jump on our website if they need to and click click through. Um, that was so, great. Thanks. Yeah. So if you could race anyone, past or present, that you'd just be a dream to not only race, obviously you'd want to beat them as well, but who would who would be the, the A-lister on your list? Does it have to be a triathlete? Oh, no, it could be anything. Oh, gosh. That's a really good question. Well, it doesn't really have to do with triathlon, but when I was growing up, um, the the athlete that I idolized most was Joan Benoit Samuelson. And for people who don't know, Joan Benoit Samuelson was the first uh, women's gold medalist um, in the marathon right. um, in the L.A. Olympics, which was like 1982, I think. Um, and the amazing thing about her was that she won the gold medal 17 days after having knee surgery. Wow. Yeah. And um, she is from Maine, which is where I'm from. And she's always just been this really strong female um, figure and inspiration for me growing up. And she was sponsored by Nike and has been a face and, and voice for Nike for a really long time. And um, I've just always admired her. So I feel like if there was one person I could race against, she would have been the person. And actually, I have this um, drawing that I did when I was like seven or eight years old. And my mom just sent it to me a year ago. And it was this drawing of the Olympic Games in 2020, I think. And I won the gold medal in the 100-meter sprint and the marathon. And Joan Benoit Samuelson won the silver in the 100-meter sprint and in the marathon. So... Um, she's just been somebody that I was, I've always looked up to and I, I really would have loved to have raced against her when she was competing. Have you ever got in contact with her? Um, when I was in sixth grade, I, I sent her, um, I had a school project and I sent her uh, a letter asking her a bunch of questions and I did this whole project on her and she, she responded. Nice. Um, so I had that communication with her when I was younger, but I've actually thought about reaching out to her um, more recently and particularly with the habit project and um, just, you know, with the new kind of advocacy of women in sport and women in try and things like that. I just have sort of thought that maybe she might, that's something that she might like to become involved in. So. Oh, you should call, you should connect with her. It's, yeah. yeah. People that I've always looked up to, I've got, I thought, I'll oh, bugger it, I'll connect it. And I've, some have just completely ignored me and some have just yeah. said, g'day, how are you? It's, it's funny how, how nice most people are. So. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, what advice would you give yourself going back into 2011, if you could? When I first turned pro? Yeah, yeah. Looking back. Um, well, I think the first year that I raced as a professional, I um, I pretty much like went all in. And what I mean by that is I felt like I had to eat perfectly and I had to get this much amount of sleep and there was just no room for me to um, 
go out with friends or have a glass of wine or eat a piece of pizza or I don't know. I'm just kind of like throwing a bunch of stuff out there. Yeah, yeah. But I just was holding on so tight because I felt like that was the only way that I was going to succeed. And what ended up happening for me was that I got incredibly burned out by really actually like halfway through the season. I just was done. And um, it was a huge lesson for me to learn. And I think that I really evolved and changed as an athlete a lot to learn that, you know, to be focused and to be driven and to be dedicated does not necessarily you know, mean that you need to be holding on that tight, that it's actually really important to try to have more balance and um, give yourself a little bit of leeway to, to sit back and enjoy life and enjoy the journey and enjoy the process. Um, and so I think that's kind of the advice that I would give, which is just, you know, make sure that you, you make time to kind of give yourself an emotional and physical and mental break. Yeah. So what do you, do you know what you're doing for the 2015 season yet? I do. Um, so the first half of the season, I'm going to focus on half Ironman events. Um, I'm actually racing 70.3 South Africa in about a week and a half. Um, that's going to be br- that's going to be brutally hot, wouldn't it? Because so, I've been looking, I've been looking at the temperatures, and it's not as not as hot as I I would have expected. Um, and then I'm going to do uh, 70.3. San Juan in March, uh, Oceanside in March, and then um, I'll either race another 70.3 in April or maybe St. George in in early May. And at that point, uh, my focus is actually going to transition to Ironman, and I'm going to do Ironman Texas in in the middle of May. I'm going to do Ironman Frankfurt at the beginning of July, and then I'm going to do Ironman Mont-Tremblant um, in mid-August nice. and then Kona. So that is a completely new type of race plan for me. I've never, um, I've never done anything like that before, but we actually think that it could really work well and, and, um, we're looking forward to it. So. Excellent. So how can, um, where can people connect with you on Twitter and, and your website? Yeah, my website is, uh, com. And my Twitter handle is at Sarah Piampiano. Um, so, you know, you can send me an email through my website if you wanted to connect directly or, you know, you can check out the website and, um, and that's it. Excellent. I'll put all those links on the show notes as well for people. Um, yeah. One last question. I like to ask everyone this. Have you got any funny stories on either during a race, training, travel, or funny, embarrassing, or a hard question, or a hard um, yeah. story. Yeah. Uh, well, a couple things. Um, one was actually, and I'll never forget this. In my very first Ironman, which was Coeur d'Alene in 2010, I was an amateur. Um, two things happened during the, <laughs> the race. The first thing that happened was that uh, the guy in front of me either blew a snot rocket or spit, <laughs> and it went literally directly into my mouth and it was (laughs) it was like one of the most shocking slash disgusting things (laughs) that's ever happened to me it was just so gross it was so gross and And, i bet you're a a good couple of kilometers away from the nearest aid station were you oh my god it was so disgusting (laughs) i'll never forget it's never happened to me again but it was just mortifying 
And then the second thing that happened was during the race, I peed and um, on the bike. And it definitely was like going all over the guy behind me. And I could hear him being like, oh, oh, oh. So that was two two experiences that were kind of embarrassing. And then actually, um, I was injured all of this last year. I had a, a fracture in my femur. And my first race back was 70.3 Miami. And, you know, you just kind of lose that, that not the race mentality, but you just kind of kind of get out of the habit or the, you, you know, remembering to all the fine details of things. And so it was a non-wetsuit race. And um, I got out of the water and I just completely forgot to, I took the top of my um, swim skin off, but I forgot to take the rest of it off. And so I was starting on the bike and maybe about, five or six miles into the bike, I looked down and I realized I still had my swim skin on, but like, you know, it was halfway down. So it was just blowing all over the place. So I had to stop and I got off the bike and I took my swim skin off. Um, and that was kind of embarrassing. I felt like that was an amateur, amateur move. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, we'll go back to the, um, your stress fracture. How, How long were you out for that? Um, well, I was out for, I was technically out from May through um, October, through the end of October. Um, so May, June, July, August, September, like essentially six months. Wow. Um, but I had been struggling with the injury since the um, middle of March. And, um, and then, you know, really just, I would say in the last two weeks, have I, has all the pain gone away? And I would say that I'm 100% healed so when i did i saw you um, put that on um facebook or twitter that you yeah. pain free for for yeah. the first time and you know i um i raced ironman western australia which you were there to to spectate at yeah um unfortunately after your your bike yeah. accident <laughs> um but i was more nervous for that race than i have been for any other race that i've done because i went in very 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 undertrained. i mean we really were not able to kind of ramp up my volume and we had to be very careful about how we did that. And then the other side of it was that I was still having a lot of hip pain and the longest run I had done was 12 miles, I think. And so I had absolutely no idea how my, how my leg was going to hold up. Um, and it was a pretty, that was a pretty stressful, it was a pretty stressful week and time leading up to that race. And then also during the race, um, for me, particularly during the run, just kind of not really knowing how, how things were going to hold up, but it was great. And, and actually since that race, my leg has made leaps and bounds in terms of, um, you know, improvement and now it's, it's good. So that's Uh, really exciting. How did you get the, um, injury? Was it just overuse? Um, actually I have, um, an underactive thyroid. So I take thyroid medication and um, one of the side effects of um, having an underactive thyroid can be a lower bone density. And so I actually, I didn't know it at the time, um, but my, my thyroid levels were off and it created uh, osteopenia, which is like low bone density in my hip. And we think that that's sort of what contributed to, to 
the injury starting in the first place. And I only learned that after the fact when I went and got a bone density scan and had blood work done and things like that. And we saw that my thyroid levels were way off. Um, but that was a big contributing factor. And it actually just was like a really good reminder for me to, um, you know, and for all endurance athletes to make sure that you get your blood levels done on a regular basis. Cause you know, it just creates so many hormonal changes, um, you know, during your training that, um, things like that, such as like another example is actually Sarah Haskins. When she had, um, her child, her hormone levels got all whacked up and that actually resulted in her getting a stress fracture as well. So it's just really important to, to get your blood, blood taken and make sure that everything's in, in check. Excellent. Well, this has been really good. Thank you very much for for coming on to the show, and hopefully we'll get you on again later on to, down the track. So, yeah, that would be awesome. Yeah, good luck with the um, 2015 season, and we'll all be following. Thank you so much, Tim. Thanks. Cheers. Thanks. Bye.